Please listen carefully. Carefully, carefully, carefully. Welcome to another episode of the Utterly Moderate Podcast. I'm Lawrence Eppert, here with my co-host, Allie Dagnus. How's it going there today, Allie? It is going so well. I am feeling, I'm feeling very uh, balanced, Lawrence. I'm feeling very well balanced. Do you know why? I don't know. Are you like Lucille too, just getting over your vertigo? Um, you know, I think the whole last 14 months has felt a little <laughs> bit like vertigo, but, uh, no, uh, today we are talking about news diets, um, a topic that I feel very strongly Segway. about. Oh, yes, I know. It's so true. It is so true. Um, you know, but it inspired me having a balanced news diet has also inspired me to, um, have a regular balanced food diet. <laughs> so I'm just feeling, I'm feeling better. Uh, you know, the, the COVID, those COVID months, um, you know, maybe there might've been more ice cream consumed in the last 14 <laughs> months on my part than usual. Uh, and so I'm, I'm trying to extend this balanced diet metaphor through all parts of me. Um, because, you know, I, I said to my husband, um, I know, I know I've put on weight, but all of my clothes fit me. And he said, that's true, but you also really only wear stretchy clothes. And I was like, ah, that's a good point. Um, so it's time, I think it's time to balance our, our food diets and our news diets and keep the ice cream for, um, weekends, right? Everything in moderation. I think a stretchy pants comment like that would have gotten me into a little bit of trouble with my wife. That's exactly right. Yep. Mm -hmm. He said that on our, on her way to our, our divorce attorney. Um, no, he, uh, actually very kind. He's like, you look great no matter what, which I think is actually husband code for. Yes. You, you probably should put down the, the Ben and Jerry's just for a tiny little bit. Um, and you know, it's, it's nice outside. And so maybe that will allow me to get out a little bit more and, uh, you know, and, and cry outside instead of just crying in our homes <laughs> into our <laughs> into our Ben and Jerry's. I don't know if you remember back on our COVID episode when we were talking to Ida, you basically begged her as a doctor to tell you it was okay to gain weight during the pandemic. Yes. She she said she said we could we could put on the COVID-19. And I felt so happy that it wasn't the full 19 that I was like, <laughs> all right, it's a win. And my completely stretchy, elastic clothing still fits me. I'm fine. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, balanced diets. We'll try it. It'll it'll end tomorrow. I'm sure. Yes. The COVID 18.5. <laughs> <laughs> so true. That is so true. Um so today we're not actually talking about diets or nutrition. When it comes to food, we are talking about really good news diets and nutrition when it comes to our brains. So um, Lawrence, why don't you explain what we're doing today? Because it's different. It's kind of cool and new. Yeah. So normally on these educational episodes, we pick one topic and we bring on an expert or two experts and we have a conversation about that topic and talk about what the weight of the evidence says about that topic. Today, we have two experts, but we interviewed them separately. And so we just have a supersized show. You're going to hear first from Vanessa Otero from Ad Fontes Media. And then after that, you'll hear an interview we did with Jim Warren from NewsGuard. So, Allie, why don't you tell us more about Vanessa and Jim? Well, both AdFontes and NewsGuard are terrific organizations. And both of them grade the news. They just do it differently. And so first, we're going to be talking with Vanessa Otero, who is the founder and CEO of AdFontes. And these are the folks who create the media bias chart. And I'm sure that most of our listeners have seen it floating around. It's very big on social media, but it's also really big in our classes because what AdFontes does in their creation of the media bias chart is they grade and rate different news outlets for um, their depth, for their uh, reliability, for their honesty, and also for their political ideological bend. So first up, we're going to hear from Vanessa Otero. And then we're going to hear from James Warren, who is the executive editor of NewsGuard. And NewsGuard is another 
organization that has folks who look at different media outlets and they also are rated according to their honesty and their reliability and their ideological bias. And so, Lawrence, why don't you take it from here? Well, both AdFontes Media and NewsGuard are excellent, excellent tools to help Americans navigate what's basically like a wild west of information today. We have so much good information available to us. We have more good information, reliable information, high quality journalism available to us today than we've ever had before. But the problem is there's so much of it. There's so much information and it's really hard to tell what's good and what's not. There are so many outlets out there. And AdFontes and NewsGuard do an excellent job of helping you understand what's reliable and what's not. What, what's unique to NewsGuard, what they do is they have an add-on to your browser. If you go to NewsGuard's website and you pay just a few dollars a month and you know, neither Allie nor I or the show receive any money from NewsGuard or AdFontes, we just think they're excellent, like the some of the best tools for evaluating media on the net, which is why we're so excited to have them on the show today. Um, but you can add this add-on to your, your browser. And what it does is anytime you visit a news site, it's going to have a little green icon to tell you that, yeah, this is a reliable site or a red one to tell you that it's not. And you can actually click on those. It's a, it's a shortcut to just tell you basically, eh, you should probably stay away from the site or, yeah, this site's pretty good. Um, but if you want, you can, you can dig deeper and click on the icons and it'll tell you, um, does this site repeat, repeatedly publish false content? Does it gather and present information responsibly? Does it correct and clarify errors? Does it handle the difference between news and opinion responsibly? Does it avoid deceptive headlines? So these are just great, great tools for, for navigating this post-truth moment that we talk about so much on this show. And Lawrence and I both feel so strongly about having a good media diet and being able to find trusted news that Lawrence has seemingly tirelessly compiled on our website a, a really great running list of news outlets and information sites that you can trust. And he didn't just come up with that, like based on his own, you know, truthiness, based on his own preferences. He used NewsGuard and AdFontis in order to find the highest rated news and political information outlets. So Lawrence, do you want to add on to that? Yeah. So if you go to our website, utterlymoderatenetwork.com, and you click on the reliable news section, what you're going to find is a really long list of trustworthy news sites, reliable news outlets. And I think at this point, we have like at least 50 national and major regional websites and newspapers. And then we have an even longer list of smaller newspapers and sites. But it's just a really, really long list of very trustworthy and reliable news outlets. And in order for an outlet to be considered trustworthy and reliable by our website, it has to pass a very rigorous set of standards. And so, and there's three of them. One is a news outlet is disqualified from being trustworthy if it is rated outside of the reliability green zone by AdFontes Media. So that's number one. Number two, News outlets cannot be rated as hyperpartisan by either AdFontes Media or another organization, all sides. And then three, all outlets must receive high scores from NewsGuard in the areas of not publishing false content, demonstrating responsible news gathering and presentation, making frequent and prominent corrections and clarifications, demonstrating responsible news and opinion differentiation, and avoiding deceptive headlines. So again, really long list of trustworthy and reliable sites that have passed those that rigorous set of standards in order to be deemed trustworthy news outlets. And we are very excited uh, not only to be able to talk about these things in a way that hopefully is, is fun. Um, I, I just was so excited to talk to both um, Vanessa and James um, about the news. I mean, it's something that I feel, you know, so passionately about. Um, but it also is really great that Lawrence has done all of this work in order to get rid of all of the clutter out there and find the sources that that are reliable 
and that have been deemed reliable by experts who are smarter even than we are. So, um, so I think it's pretty neat. You know, There's Lawrence did the work. Smarter than you. That's no, to me. well, I'm smarter than you are, but you know, that's anyway, <laughs> the other two are smarter than I am. Um, but you know, Lawrence really did the heavy lifting and, and did the work so that the rest of us wouldn't have to. And, um, and so Lawrence, thank you for that. Uh, we do want you to check out our website cause it's cool. It's not just like, you know, us, it's, it's also more resources that can be helpful. So Lawrence, what do you think without further ado, should we launch into our, our interviews? Yep. Sounds good. So our first interview is with Vanessa Otero, founder and CEO of AdFontis Media. Welcome to the show, Vanessa. We are so excited to have you here. It's my pleasure. I'm glad to be here. So Vanessa, for somebody who doesn't know anything about AdFontes Media, can you tell us what you do and why it's important? Yeah. So we rate the news for reliability and bias. And you may have seen uh, floating around social media for the last five years or so, uh, one or more versions of a, uh, the media bias chart. And we put that out, uh, that it's a two-dimensional graph. Uh, the a vertical axis is for reliability and news value, and the horizontal axis is for left to right political bias. So we plot various news sources. And... There are news and news-like sources. So it includes things like fake news and some blogs, things that aren't you know what you typically think of as news, but people rely on them for information anyways. And we plot them you know from you know, top to bottom, left to right, uh, because there are you know degrees and you know variants um, across the spectrum. So uh, we used uh, teams of analysts of you know, ba politically balanced analysts, left, right, and center to uh, rate these news sources. And we do it through a content analysis methodology, which means we actually take a look at the actual articles and episodes of the news content itself. We take samples of those and rate the individual ones. And the overall source score is a like weighted average of the samples that we rate. I actually went to, um, I logged on to one of your webinars mm -hmm. last okay. summer, and it was so interesting to hear about your methodology. So for those who were not able to do so, can you explain a little bit of how you, how you rage, uh, rate these, please? Yeah. So uh, we'll t for any new news source that we rate, we try to grab a representative sample because this is all done uh, manually. You know, ad fontes is Latin for to the source because we're, what we're looking at is the source, like the material itself. And that's different from a lot of other ways of like a more common way of measuring news, which is by doing opinion polling. So if you do opinion polling of like, how much do you, does this audience trust the news? You sort of get more information about uh, the person that you're polling, the audience you're polling than the actual source itself. Because if you ask somebody, uh, do you trust MSNBC? Well, if you're a left-leaning person, you'll say yes. And if you're a right-leaning person, you'll say no. And that, what does that tell you about the ultimate reliability and bias of MSNBC? Like, it doesn't tell you that much. So we look at, you know, the headlines, the graphics, the, uh, the words, like the actual text, the pictures, embedded links, all that stuff of any particular article. For, so for any news source, we'll take a sample over a few different news cycles. We'll grab, you know, for smaller sources, like 15 articles at least to, to get started. But for our larger news sources, uh, we have dozens and even hundreds of articles uh, rated for, for each one of those. So each, uh, each article is rated by a panel of analysts and they're sitting in uh, shifts in Zoom as we speak all day, every day. And there's a left-leaning uh, left person, a right-leaning person, and a center person, call them center-leaning. They're sort of standing straight up, I guess. Uh, and they will look at an article, they'll read it together, they'll rate it on their own, and they'll look at each other's scores, and uh, they'll discuss any discrepancies. But the uh, analysts come to a really remarkable level of agreement on the scores for, uh, for these news sources, or for these news articles, because they're looking at it yeah, on a case-by-case, article-by-article basis. They're not just saying like, well, CNN's biased. They're looking at this article, like what it says about this event. And so they can say, this one is a left-leaning opinion, or this one is a right-leaning analysis, or this one is a you know minimally biased fact-reporting story. So you know, uh, they, that's why they're able to uh, come to high levels of agreement with that. 
So a few years back, your media bias charts started going viral all over the place, all over the internet. And I was wondering, since we had you here today on the show, if you could tell us what it felt like in that moment when that when that started happening. I actually know when it started going viral because all of my students started emailing it to me and posting it on my Facebook page. You know, it was just this constant like, Dr. Dagnus, this is what you're talking about. Have you seen this? This is amazing. And so I remember, I mean, it was just this flood of Advantis. It was fantastic because everyone then got to see it and say, oh, that's so great. Where was this when I took your class? I'm like, I don't know, but it's here now. And so let's celebrate it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it really caught me by surprise in, you know, Adfontes, we sort of came to being uh, on accident at first. Uh, I created the the first version in uh, the run up to the 2016 election, and you know, just uh, it looked a, a bit different then. It was you know fewer sources, and you know, the categories were a, li- uh, a little bit different. And it was just me that was rating them. And one of the complaints I would get was like, "Well, this is biased because you're biased," and I was like, "You're right." It's true. So how do we fix that and make it better? <laughs> so you know, in, De- in December 2016, that first version started going everywhere, like Facebook, Reddit. It was it was crazy. Um, so you know, when I would get all this feedback about uh, you know people wanting more data and what our, and wanting to know what our methodology was, and especially wanting to have us rate more news sources, I thought about how we could grow and expand this. And so for a couple of years, it was just sort of like a big blog project that took over my life. Uh, and then in 2018, we put out uh, like the 3.1, uh, 3.0, 3.1 version, uh, which looks a lot more like it does today. And uh, that you know, had like another round of you know virality. I mean, we still get people emailing us from like a Market Watch article that featured that chart in 2018 uh, who've never you know seen our site and see what we do today. Um, and now, obviously, it's it's a lot. You know, we started as an actual company in uh, the beginning of 2018. We're a public benefit corporation, which means we're a for-profit company with a stated public mission to make news consumers uh, smarter uh, and news media better. And, uh, and you know, we've, so we've gone through that, you know, those waves of you know, popularity where it's like everywhere. And now people are like, yeah, you know, the media bias chart is sort of, um, it, it's part of like the cultural zeitgeist. Like it, it, has people thinking about news from top to bottom and left to right, which to me is amazing. Have you gotten any pushback from outlets who say, no, we still don't believe you. And um, just asking for a friend, how do you deal with stuff like that when you know (laughs) that your methodology is accurate, but somebody's kind of throwing some shade your way anyway? Yes, uh, we do get yelled at online a lot. Um, so, and it's different from different corners. So as you can imagine, folks that are in the bottom corners of our chart are not big fans. That's okay. Um, but also folks in the bottom corners of the chart sort of know what they're doing, right? Like they're intentionally trying to generate outrage and division because it's to their benefit, right? It, um, generates a lot of, uh, you know, engagement and uh, increased audiences and uh, a lot of them monetize it. Um, you know, so, uh, well, <laughs> when our very first version came out, I was very flattered to see that Infowars then subsequently published their own chart. I mean, this was just a couple of days after they had seen it. And, uh, you know, obviously we're a mainstream media shill, you know, uh, <laughs> and we're owned by the corporate media. Um, this was, you know, again, just me and my chart, but uh, they they made their own version, and the axes were like freedom and tyranny, and uh, I think like corporate and non corporate, and then the Infowars, whatever was the apex of that chart, that's where they were, and then you know they had ABC and NBC in like the whatever bad corner of the chart was, and then there was a few others smattered in there, and then they quit because charts are hard, uh, it's a lot of effort. <laughs> so you know, I I view that as a as a compliment, you know, and folks on the uh, folks on the left have uh, you know gotten upset in the the criticisms. You know, there's criticism from outlets, and there's criticism from you know people uh, on left and right. If you've ever posted this on social media, you'll get the same kind of reactions that we do. People will say, "Oh no, the CNN is way further left than that," or like Fox News should be in the bottom corner. And what's uh, fascinating is 
you know, people have don't realize that they have such small samples of the media landscape because most people will only read like three, four, five news sources regularly. And their impression of the media, especially on the other side from them, is sort of a caricature of of what's actually out there, right? Uh, you know, pe- folks on the right will say like Breitbart, well, Breitbart should be way, way down in the corner. And but I say, like, have you seen the other stuff that's like further right and further like down than that? It is way worse. Like, this is all relative. And people who say like Vox or CNN is like the furthest left. I'm like, well, you really haven't seen things that are really further left. I mean, if you're on the left, do you go out and like seek out a bunch of right leaning content? No. And if you're on the right, do you go out and seek out a bunch of left leaning content? No, you don't. You just sort of hear about it from people on your own side. You know, um, and so you just have this uh, this sense of it. People don't like to hate watch the other side, but you know, uh, there are news outlets in the middle, uh, in the top, who have reached out to us as well, and they're like, "Hey, how come we're just even the ones with good scores? They're like, how come we lean left a little bit? You know, we're trying to be fair, um, or how come you know, our score is a little bit lower than this other one?" And it, that's gratifying to me because you know it shows that uh, publishers are really tr- good. Publishers are really trying to wrestle with um, how to be better in this whole environment where, you know, it, it's hard for journalism. You know, they, they have these competing business interests, uh, like they need to get uh, more clicks and generate more engagement, but they also have like these standards uh, that, you know, that they don't want to put out clickbait. And you see, you see organizations wrestling with that all the time. Um, you mentioned that people have a very small sample when they judge a news outlet. I've also found that people have this historical understanding that may not be accurate or that they've heard sort of from generation to generation. Um, is there anything that you think the chart can do that can address kind of those almost, you know, legacy tags of mm-hmm. bias? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think those, uh, the reasons people might think that uh, like these legacy news outlets are biased is because of the way that content shows up uh, on social media, right? Uh, if you look at the interactive chart, I know you you all are fam- familiar with it, but for your audience, say you pick um, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, right? These are you know what people call legacy outlets. They've had uh, print publications for many many years. Now they're online as well. And they print both news and opinion. And they, you know, they differentiate between the two. They even have a section that says, like, this is labeled opinion. Um, And for the New York Times, they tend to have more left-leaning opinion content than right, even though they have some. And for the Wall Street Journal, they tend to have more right-leaning opinion content than left. Um, But... When people see, uh, when especially today on social media, when you see one article from the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal in your feed, it's usually just one article, right? So if you see just the left-leaning opinion article, you're like, well, New York Times is left. If you just see the right-leaning Wall Street Journal opinion article, well, Wall Street Journal is right. Like that sample... And people tend to share a a lot of opinion articles on social media. Like they tend to get more news and more engagement, um, you know, Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, than the, um, than just regular news articles. Uh, I have other thoughts on like the news opinion binary. Like I I don't think I kind of reject that, that binary because there's a whole, you know, gradient of like news analysis opinion. But, um, you know, if you, if you look at the the sample uh, spread on the charts, you'll see um, most of that, you know, there's a bunch of dots in the left-leaning opinion uh, section uh, for uh, New York Times content and a bunch of dots representing articles on the right-leaning opinion side for Wall Street Journal. So that overall impression that people have um, is, you know, it's it's valid. Like we're trying to capture what people sort of naturally, um, you know, encounter in their, uh, in their news consuming experience. Like if you're fairly well, like, you know, fairly news savvy, like you read above average amount of news, then your perception is likely that New York Times is, you know, skews left and um, and Wall Street Journal skews right. And that's, we're trying to capture why. Vanessa, I often tell my students, and in fact, I, I said this at the top of the show, that we have access to as much good journalism today as we've ever had before. The problem is, of course, there's been an explosion of just a number of outlets, many of which are bad. And I often use this metaphor. I say, imagine that you were in a room with five scientists 
and they were the absolute experts on whatever topic it is that they were discussing. Let's say it was gravity, right? And you felt really confident, like, wow, I have five experts who are just telling me the absolute, you know, best science on gravity. And then imagine that 10 people ran into the room who knew nothing about what they were talking about and just started spouting nonsense. Now there's 15 people in the room, five of which are experts and 10 of which are just spouting nonsense. And if you don't know how to identify the experts, that's where the pro- you put you encounter a problem. And I think that's what our current uh, media ecosystem is like. And you, that's just my perspective. You may disagree. No, I agree. I do agree. Well, so from your own perspective, can you tell us a little bit about the problems that as you see it with our current media ecosystem and how that may have motivated you to come to this work? Yeah. You know, your point is, uh, it's a good one. And over the last, so problems and how, how we got here, um, it's really changed a lot over the last, you know, 60, 70 years. Right. So, and the challenge is really different. You'll see the challenge, um, change for like, uh, for people based on age, right? So old, like older generation, you know, like middle generation, younger generation, each has grown up in a different era of news availability, right? So if you remember like TV in like the 60s and 70s, it was, you know, three major uh, TV news networks, ABC, NBC, CBS. And then you had, you know, local papers, few national papers. And, you know, that was, you know, that was the news, right? You said news magazines. And then in the 80s and uh, 90s, you know, well, in the 90s, you started having like this phenomenon of 24-hour cable news, uh, which was new. And then it be like that CNN was the first, but then, you know, Fox and then MSNBC came along and then you had partisan cable news, which was different. And then in the you know, 2000s, news moved online. So you had, you know, more, you know, blogs and information and people could, you know, put uh, news uh, new news sites up and the barriers of entry to uh, creating a good news organization came down. So like, you don't, um, you don't have to necessarily have, you know, a bunch of journalists out, out in the field to put up news content. And then the, those barriers fell even further in uh, it, uh, the 2010s, right? You, you had not only the explosion of social media, but social media on smartphones. So all of a sudden, like not only could you create you know, a website with uh, you know very low cost, uh, you don't you didn't even have to have like journalism on that website. You could just have like some hot takes, right? And right now, and the more engaging and um, you know vitriolic it and partisan, uh, the more outrage it generates. You know, like there's financial, there's monetary incentives to do that. Like if you can generate a lot of traffic to your site, uh, just by making people angry at other people, you know, that's a, you know, that's an easy way to go. It's way easier than hiring a bunch of journalists for like a real news organization. Right. So it's, it, that's resulted in, you know, this, uh, proliferation all of what I call drunk news sources. There's a ton of analysis and opinion content and worse, you know, there's a, there's opinion, but then there's like, you know, mis, you know, propagandistic opinion and misleading stuff and like fake news. Right. So all of that has these like, new financial incentives uh, and ease of distribution that they didn't before. And with all, all these different uh, outlets, uh, the phenomenon of like fragmented audiences is just more apparent than ever before. Like they talk about fragmented audiences in advertising a lot. Uh, like podcasts is one of them, you know, uh, TV, like, especially with connected TV, you've got your apps and you can watch you know, hundreds of different news shows. It's not just CNN or Fox or MSNBC. You've got like OAN and Newsmax and RT and Cheddar and Bloomberg and Newsy. And like, there's so many different, you know, just TV news sources. Um, and you know, one person can't watch all of them, right? So we don't all have the same kind of sources of information uh, and people can get increasingly uh, siloed. So I think the, um, you know, I use this analogy of like junk food uh, being like junk news or junk junk news being like junk food. You know, back in the, um, that junk news phenomenon, fast food uh, created these health epidemics in our country. And this junk news epidemic is creating like this information epidemic uh, in our country. And we are still learning. We're going through some growing pains of learning how to deal with that. 
So there's been, you know, there's been a lot of scholarship on all of this, right, that sort of prove it to be quantitatively true. And another element of all of this is also not only that it's financially beneficial, but it's also and increasingly so in the last five years, politically beneficial. Mm -hmm. So when politicians pick favorite Mm -hmm. outlets and say, no, no, this is the one that you could trust. Uh And then their, you know, their fans go and their voters go to that outlet and it is a junk news site, then they feel it's a double hit, right? They feel like, okay, I'm getting the right and proper information from this outlet and I'm being told by the person that I support that it really is the only place to get the truth. Mm -hmm. And um, that makes, I think, that muddies the waters even more because it is financially beneficial, but it's also very politically beneficial. So you're not going to really have a whole lot of regulation coming out against these sites. Right. Yeah. It's a really multi-layered problem. I mean, um, I'm sure you talk about confirmation bias all the time, right? It not only (laughs) does, you know, it, it feels good. It's a financially, uh, there's a financial incentive for the producer of it, but also the audience wants it. Again, going back to junk news and junk food, it's like, whose fault is it? You know, is it the uh, mega fast food corporations that are like filling their uh, fast food with like fat and salt and sugar? But like people like fat and salt and sugar. So again, who, whose fault is it? Um, it's It's sort of both, right? And the when you talk about like politicians picking their favorites and having it be politically beneficial, you know, that's multi-layered too. One of the layers is that the politicians themselves are not necessarily any better at discerning uh, the difference between good information and bad information themselves. And they're increasingly part of the news, me- the media ecosystem itself. They are the news. They appear on the news. They're pundits. You know, are there guests on the cable news shows or guests on the podcasts, right? Uh, they're buying their own junk, right? They're, um, it, you know, it's uh, easy to have confirmation bias and like watch your own news. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a, just a, a not a politician or if you're a congressperson or a senator or the president, uh, that doesn't mean that you're, uh, you know, good at differentiating the different types of quality of information. You know, going back to the concept of having like five experts in a room and then ten, you know, ten people who know nothing in the room. Uh, what people have to do is get good at uh, information weighing because we are we have a methodology for determining veracity, right? Like a quick methodology, you know, because our analysts need to figure out what's the likelihood of veracity of something within like 10 or 15 minutes, right? We can't run everything like all the way to ground, like you have a fact checking organization, but we can use some of those principles and come to a decision of likelihood of veracity within a short period of time. And a lot of it is like weighing a competing information. So when you have, and we have competing information all the time, now, uh, folks are not very adept at uh, figuring out like which one is is better. Like if you're, we kind of have to be like our own judges and juries in a court where we're looking at, you know, there there are different sides, but it doesn't mean just because there's two sides in the case doesn't mean they're equal. Doesn't mean they both have, um, you know, the same. Uh, they 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 both don't have the best supporting facts. Like one side wins at the end, and usually usually uh, it's in the side with better facts. So you want to you know, be able to discern like in the stuff that you're reading, which one has better reputation and credibility, which one has facts that support its argument better, and that's really the exercise that modern news consumers are being asked to do, but they don't realize it. And that's why people get frustrated and they just throw out their hands up and they say, well, I don't know what to believe anymore. This one says this and this one says this and I, I don't know. Well, I'm a big fan of your work, obviously. And I love the fact that you rate the news not only for its bias, which is important, but also for its reliability. It's not just about whether or not you're you know, coming at a story from one perspective or another, but whether you're representing the truth, Right. Right. And I think that's uh, why it's helpful to, you know, put out two axes, you know, of reliability and bias because they're related, but they're, they're different considerations. So that's a complaint that we get often from the left is that um, by showing that there are 
you know, sources on the left and on the right that were, you know, somehow saying that like both sides are equal. And that's really not what we're, sh- we're showing. Like there's the, the reliability axis. That's the, like the good, bad, like the North South, right? So higher is better. We're not saying middle is better. You know, we're just, there happens to be a lot of, you know, uh, overlap between sources that try to say factual things and, you know, being in the middle of the chart, meaning like minimally balanced or, um, you know, not taking a side or or being centrist. Like there's all these things that can constitute the middle of the chart. What we're trying to capture from the left, right, is just what is in the United States right now. And that's sort of uncomfortable because everyone thinks that the middle should be like a little bit closer to their own like personal beliefs. But the, the, yeah, the the middle is what the middle is. It's like uh, what we have anchor the chart are the contemporary uh, political posi- policy positions of U.S. elected officials. So contemporary meaning now, not like fifty years ago. You know, in the civil rights era, era what was left and right was very different, right? Um, it, we mean the U.S., so not some kind of universal thing because it's like very squishy to try to measure. And we're trying, we're talking about. uh, political positions, policy positions of U.S. elected officials right now. And those things change really quickly. I mean, if you just, and they change on, they do change on both sides, much to everyone's consternation. Everyone says like, oh, the other side is like moving the the goalpost, right? But if you think about something like same-sex marriage with, uh, you know, when Barack Obama first ran for president, that was a hyper-partisan left issue like that same-sex marriage should be legal, right? But in the uh, middle of it, it, like shortly after a second term, he said he thinks same-sex marriage should be legal. And then it became the law of land with the Supreme Court in 2015. So that moved from like hyper-partisan left, uh, that policy position, to just barely center-left, right? Um, And that happens on the the right too. So what anchors the most extreme parts of the uh, left and right spectrum, like the line between hyper-partisan left and right and most extreme left and right is the positions of the most extreme, like major elected officials. Now, who is that? Like that was maybe Matt Gates on the right uh, one cycle ago, but now it's like Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene. So, you know, that it's that may be problematic for folks that um, people who believe in QAnon conspiracy theories are now elected officials. And that's what the, um, the most extreme right is, but that's what it is, right? But on, on the left, you know, uh, Cori Bush is, you know, very, very progressive, more so even than AOC and the rest of the squad, right? And, like saying, you know, you know, abolish, the, uh, abolish ICE and defund the police, like that's her, you know, she has those positions. So the goalposts do move on both sides. We're just trying to capture that. Like people should pay attention more to uh, you can argue for very left or very right positions with better or worse facts. And that's what you should look at the um, the vertical axis for. Now, I know you already have a lot of different kinds of sites on there. So, for instance, not just the straight news sites, but also commentary sites like the Bulwark and the Dispatch, etc. I see now you're going into uh, looking at podcasts. I was wondering just how far you are looking to take your analyses um, just as an example, there's some really niche publications now, like, you know, sports publications like The Athletic. Can you tell us about your future plans and how you're looking to expand the work that you do into more domains than just sort of the straight news sites? Yeah. So, you know, because there's there's a lot of applications for this data when it comes to uh, the advertising ecosystem. So um, advertisers uh, fund the news ecosystem for better and worse. Uh, they fund the good journalism that exists and it's uh, very needed. And when it, that's taken away uh, for any reason, like with local news, you know, with local news um, uh, advertising dries up, that's really detrimental to, uh, to good journalism outlets. And at the same time, you've got, you know, uh, ad tech ecosystems, uh, like automatic programmatic advertising on, especially on the internet that just automatically funds, um, you know, high engagement, junk news, fake news without any regard for how biased or low quality it is. So we're, um, we're making our data available in, you know, commercial, 
um, packages for advertisers to be able to tell the difference between like good news and junk news. And uh, there's a big need in, uh, especially in podcasts, because it's even harder to rate all the podcasts because you got to like sit there and listen to them and they're really long. And we've, so we're rating podcasts. We've got about 150 rated right now. Uh, we're also moving into like TV and video content. So I say TV and video because there's all those like news uh, channels that I mentioned earlier on on cable and connected TV uh, applications. But there's also uh, videos like um, video-based networks like Free Speech TV or The Young Turks or PragerU, uh, ones that are just highly YouTube-based. Um, so we try to capture, we're trying to capture all of that content as much as possible. And we're, we try to stay, um, you know, there, there's just a lot of content to rate in the news and opinion and politics categories. But then there's a lot of intersections with um, related information sites like, um, you know, got like celebrity gossip, you know, sometimes there's, there's like, you know, uh, like real, real news and political news in those sites as well. You've got, you know, fashion industry and magazines like uh, Vogue, Teen Vogue, um, uh, you know, GQ, uh, music industry, like Rolling Stones, you know, you've got sports, uh, the, the ones you mentioned uh, that like crossover and, you know, people get their information from those too. So uh, our system is designed so that we can really rate any piece of content. And so, you know, if a sports, you know, uh, like a sports or music uh, magazine is covering a sports music story, that's really not political left to right, then it can still be like a, you know, fact reporting or analysis or opinion piece that just doesn't have a detectable left to right political bias. Uh, so, so we can rate that, uh, that sort of stuff. Um, and, and we do, especially because you know, some, sometimes certain political columns in those uh, tend to get really well known, like from certain authors. People ask me all the time, you know, what can be done to make the quality of news better. Do you have any thoughts, ideas, either about regulation or, um, you know, some sort of, I don't know, concentration of content? I mean, anything that would help clear up some of the clutter in this very crowded and polarized media environment? Excellent question. I have lots of thoughts on this. Uh, I have. I'm a lawyer by training. I'm a patent lawyer, but uh, I've uh, you've, you've read all, read and done a lot of uh, research in these areas about the laws that, that govern this. So, um, one people ask, you know, what if uh, is it the fairness doctrine's fault? Like, uh, is it because the fairness doctrine went away, then that then Fox News came to be, and now you know. There's just it's just a free for all, and if we bring the fairness doctrine back, will that help? Uh, I don't think that was a problem in the first place, and I don't think bringing it back is going to help. Um, the fairness doctrine was always sort of on questionable constitutional grounds in the first place, because uh, and probably would not f- survive a First Amendment uh, challenge at the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, if you're not familiar with the fairness doctrine, it just means that like you know it required like uh, equal pre- equal time presentation of both sides of an issue um, in the news. And so, as we discussed, like what both sides even is, is like um, really hard to nail down. I mean, how would you, how would you even enforce that in today's uh, media ecosystem? Um, The other, so like, how, how can we fix it? So I have um, some thoughts on like the, like what we can do as like stakeholders in good news media and, you know, what the government uh, can, should, could do, right? So uh, let me just start with a, like the government regulation aspect of it, especially with regards to social media, because there's big uh, conversations about this uh, all the time. Every few weeks, it seems the um, uh, CEOs of the big tech companies and social media companies get hauled in front of Congress to testify about like, you know, fake news or censorship or whatever. So, um, and like what they're supposed to do about it. And there's not a lot of laws that prohibit uh, what uh, social media companies uh, can do. 
uh, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act is sort of like the one law that says what social media companies can and can't do regarding um, content moderation, meaning removing stuff from their platform. And it's extremely, extremely permissive. Like they basically can do whatever they want um, without interference, not only from the government, but they can't even get sued for it by, um, by individuals. Like big newspapers at least can get sued. They have tort liability for defamation, right? So you can, that's why like Dominion voting machines uh, is being very successful at suing the pants off of these uh, private media companies that are spreading um, lies and misinformation about them. But social media companies, you can't sue them for the content that's posted on there by other uh, users because of this uh, law, Section 230, that was made that was enacted in the late 90s before the modern internet really looked like it looks. So there's a ton of conversation about like, well, how can we change Section 230 to make sure that like to do one of you know two things, you know, make either make um, the social media companies moderate content and like remove stuff that's like you know in whoever's judgment bad, or um, you know, make them not do that, like make them be completely hands off to any kind of content moderation, because we don't want them to censor, like make them be politically balanced or neutral. So whether you're a Democrat or a Republican tends to inform like what you want the social media companies to do, right? So I think, you know, sweeping changes to Section 230 are probably unwise, uh, just because there's, you know, it's hard to legislate uh, what social media companies should do if you don't if you're not even familiar at the basic level like what they are able to do um, yeah it's really hard to draw lines for social media companies on like what's what uh, you know real news what's opinion what's some somewhat problematic and gray area maybe needs a label or something and what's like misinformation and fake news and like deserving of like getting kicked off the off the platform right Hate speech, you, you can, that's a little bit easier because you can like automatically with AI detect a racial slur, you know, or a threat of violence. It's much harder with like, you know, truth and falsity. So at the basic level, like uh, social media companies, uh, self, uh, shameless plug, need to work with companies like us who can, you know, rate these on a scale, right? Uh, news ratings are important. That's like one of the things that we need. So you know, long story short, uh, social media companies should use us. But how do we fix the rest of the news ecosystem? It's not just the social media companies, right? It's all the stakeholders in good news media. And I keep I go back to this. If you look at our website, I've got a video on like who all these uh, stakeholders are. But it's consumers, it's educators, it's brands, it's publishers, social media companies, researchers, government. Like all of these, uh, uh, all these stakeholders have a role to play. Consumers need to like not spread misinformation and learn how to determine stuff for themselves. Educators need to be able to teach media literacy more effectively and widely in school, right? Everybody's got their role. And uh, it, we can't just uh, ask one, you know, powerful entity like the government or like a social media company to just like come in and fix it. That's not how it's going to happen. So I guess I have a, a question that's in two parts, which is what brought you to work on this you yourself. And do you see it making a difference? Because spoiler alert, I see your work making a difference. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, about you? Oh, uh, thanks. I, uh, I like that question. You know, I, what brought me to, uh, to this work um, was really like, like I said, I saw people arguing with each other badly on social media and what I mean by that is that they would throw links at each other from their own polarized sources and fail to convince their political opponent. And it was not surprising to me that they would fail to convince their political opponent because, you know, somebody would be like, well, my article from Occupy Democrats says you are an idiot. And I'll be like, well, my article from Breitbart says you're an idiot. And, you know, the those sources speak to their own audience and are very bad at like, you know, convincing the other audience. It's just not what those sources are for. And when you talk about like the like marketplace of ideas, uh, yeah, it, it tends to not, 
the idea is, is like the antidote to bad speech is more speech. But what we have now is like unlimited speech. We have like unlimited information. And unless you know how to like sort it, then, uh, or it's compared for you side by side, like if like a marketplace of ideas or a marketplace in general, right? Like competition among ideas. If you have like a uh, small marketplace and you can be like, well, that uh, vendor's price is this and that vendor's price is this, then they can, they can compete. Right. But when you just have like millions and millions and millions of prices and, and vendors, like, well, what do you need? You need some sort of technology to aggregate that. Um, so you can actually truly price compare. And so in like actual economics, like prices of goods, like the internet has quickly coalesced to like, uh, around, uh, ways that you can comparison shop, like Google can compare all these prices for you. There's a bunch of apps that can compare prices of things for you, right? They can, since there's uh, like unlimited vendors, uh, pretty much, you can like see all the prices together in one place without you having to go to every single website in the world, right? So uh, I see what we do as uh, that for news and news like information. You yes, there's all this information, competing information out there, but one person does not have all the time or the inclination or the desire to read all the competing information about a particular topic. Right? Uh, they need some shortcuts to be able to tell you know what's what's generally more reliable. Like, what am I walking into in the first place when I look at this content? You know. Yes, it, it, people absolutely should think for themselves. People say, hey, "Why should I believe you?" Like, should I? Uh, shouldn't people just be able to discern news sources for themselves? Yes, they absolutely should. But again, not everybody has a time, inclination, or ability to do so. And like, we just you know, look at all the news, so you don't have to. <laughs> so it's a ours. Our resource is a good place to start. And if you you know want to dive in further, then you can. I I think because of that, it, it makes a difference. Um, you know, we've been really fortunate as a company to attract uh, amazing advisors, employees, and analysts, uh, people who really want this to succeed as a business because they see that there's such a need for news content uh, ratings for reliability and bias. Um, and I think, you know, it's uh, not like even just today, people are thinking about things in terms of more or less reliable, more or less left and right. And I think that's a big leap forward um, in just implementing that in people's decision makings, uh, decision making about the news that content they consume will continue to make a difference. Like people need to be able to tell if like they're looking at a piece of content about coronavirus, uh, like the, the virus itself or the vaccines or whatever, and make a decision. Should I believe this? Right. They need to make a decision about what politicians tell them, say, should I believe this? Uh, otherwise, if you don't know how to make good decisions, you, um, you run the risk of like having a really terrible pandemic made a lot worse or, you know, having our democracy almost collapse. Can you give our listeners a peek behind the curtain in terms of your methodology about how often you reevaluate sources? In my head, I'm thinking, well, there could be a news outlet that today isn't trustworthy, but makes changes and in the future becomes much more reliable. Or the opposite of that, maybe there's a reliable news source that's trustworthy today, but over time they make changes and they just get worse in terms of their quality and they aren't trustworthy in the future. So could you tell us a little bit about how often you reevaluate news outlets, number one? And also, have you gotten any positive feedback from news outlets that respond to your ratings and say, you know what, we're going to make positive changes and become more trustworthy in response to these analyses? Yeah, so uh, our our most uh, well-known sources, we uh, do add new articles and episodes to them all the time. Like the ones that uh, people are most familiar with on the media bias chart, like top 100 or so. Um, we're every week we you know we get new articles from across the spectrum, and they're you know from from those sources uh, most frequently, and uh, especially when there's um, cultural moments. Uh, for example, right after the election, there was a big divergence in news coverage, even in right-wing, uh, right-leaning media. Um, you'd have sources like National Review and the Dispatch it'd be like, "No, no, no! There's no election fraud, you guys." And, you know, from a conservative point of view. And then you had like OAN and Newsmax, whose ratings like normally hovered in the Fox area. Um, you know, 
go just like off the deep end. They're like, oh yeah, here's Sidney Powell and Mike Lindell are our guests. And they're going to tell us exactly who changed all the votes in Georgia. Uh, it's just totally false, right? So we will pay special attention to these kind of, um, these, these kind of trends in order to uh, detect changes. But you know, we're, we're doing both growing our number of news sources and, um, you know, making the samples uh, deeper. And so, you know, it's just a lot of, a lot of work to do that, but um, you know, we're, it's, it's important for us to uh, keep, keep track of those changes and the sources that um, you, you asked about sources, you know, have they responded positively? Um you know, there are ones that are in like the opinion analysis section that seek to be, you know, you, you know, seen as reliable sources of information who have reached out to us and said, hey, you know, I know we're, I know we're left, but, you know, we're trying to would be responsible about saying when something's an opinion versus something that's news and how come we're rated here versus like uh, counterparts on, on the right, you know, that, um, you know, we think we should at least be equal to them. So, uh, I don't know that uh, I can't necessarily give you examples of folks who have changed, the, uh, but we do have that have that ability to like go back and, and reevaluate. And ideally, yes, we would like publishers to improve as a result of our ratings. Now, the ones in the bottom corners don't want to do that and are not interested, but there are ones that are like in the sort of middle area that analysis opinion. Maybe they've gotten like really sucked into the whole opinion uh, aspect of it because it's so engaging and profitable, but they also realize that that costs them um, reader trust. Like the more opinion content something has, the less readers trust it. Like they, they just lose audience. Like um, local local news, um, it's it's up there because the format uh, has pretty much no opinion. That's why that's why it's really trusted and it remains so. So we're trying to show that to publishers like, hey, this opinion content that you have that's really engaging, it comes at a cost. So you have to make business decisions based on that. You know, did you catch, uh, there was a new Pew study that dropped uh, that showed where people got, where high information voters got the majority of their news. And I was shocked to see that local news was at the very bottom. Social media was the next bottom. <laughs> so the the high information, you know, voters, the, the folks who are getting a lot of good news, that makes a bucket of sense that they're not getting it from social media. But I was surprised that that local news was as low down as it was, except if you consider the fact that they probably don't do a lot of political news because they're doing sports, weather, traffic, and all of that stuff. So it's easy to trust an outlet, I think, you know, that's not even covering political content. Um, and, you know, also all the people who live in your town who, you know, watch the same people over and over again, like they become sort of like family members. Um, and so, you know, I wonder kind of the the future of local news, which is incredibly important. Do not get me wrong. Um, I wonder how trying to stay on the good side of ad fontes um, and trying to stay, you know, sort of also trusted, if that's going to drive the way that they cover, forget even national politics, although everything's so nationalized, like I wonder if that's going to drive their coverage of local politics, which is incredibly valuable for mm -hmm. citizens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, local news is um, it faces a lot of headwinds. You know, there's the advertising issues that I uh, that I talked about earlier, um, and because there's like high trust in local news, there are you know market forces and like in you know, political actors who are trying to take advantage of that and insert um, like more political commentary or like. You cross pollinate between uh, like the like the major networks like uh, NBC, CBS, uh, Fox into into their local like local affiliates, um, and which would be to the detriment of local local news. Um, you know, usually local news if they cover national stories and political stories, it's real high level like just the facts, right? Um, people go for their political news to um, like the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington, you know and uh washington post um yeah i i i don't have all, all the solutions for uh for local news except telling people that they should uh, support them and uh people people don't know what they're missing when their local news goes away like 
they're missing a lot of really important coverage that no one else is going to talk about. And so unfortunately, that's fallen a lot to uh, nonprofits and uh, and organizations that just realize how big of a problem it is. But, um, you know, consumers and uh, consumers and uh, advertisers also have a role to play in like picking up and supporting local news with their dollars. I know I'm not the first person to say this, but um, I think if we want these things to exist, we're going to have to support them. And the more alarmed I become about the state of our democracy, the more alarmed I become about the state of our media ecosystem, the more of my bank account is devoted to paying for these things. So I have as many subscriptions as I possibly can afford to center right and center left news sites. Um, and increasingly, I'm spending more money on things like Ad Fontes Media <laughs> and and NewsGuard. Uh, because again, if, if I want these things to exist and, and not go away, I know they need our support. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, if you feel comfortable, could you tell us about your own media diet and, um, the things that the outlets that you find most trustworthy? And, um, you know, if your if your niece, Brittany, uh, comes over to you and says, Hey, what should I, what should I read? you know, when they are a teenager or your, your aunt Ethel says, Hey, what should I watch as an older person? What, what are your recommendations? So, uh, I love, I love APN Reuters because those are the wire services and people don't quite realize that what wire services are. I mean, they're organizations that employ thousands of journalists across the world and syndicate their content to local and national outlets, uh, uh, so they can, you know, like reuse it and republish it. it the major, major national news organizations like Washington Post and uh, New York Times, it, down to like the, yeah, you know, my local Denver Post uses AP and writers content. And so um, they are having a lot of journalists uh, usually correspond really well with, uh, with good reliability and they have the most journalists, but the organizations that have the next most journalists are the big national papers, um, like, uh, Washington Post and New York times and, uh, wall street journal. So, you know, the news section, not so much the opinion section, like if you wanted to know like what is happening, uh, and then of course your, your local news, uh, like local evening news, local, uh, papers for, uh, it's, it's nice to get some international news as well. And in the United States, um, BBC's coverage of international news it is also really helpful because it tends, it does show, you know, U.S. political news tends to be fairly neutral about that, but then it also has a big sections from across uh, the world about like what it, what is happening. If you want to get into like a little bit deeper uh, analysis and wider, like local uh, uh, news coverage from uh, places around the world. The Economist is a really good one. It's really dense. The magazine's huge and it's got tons and tons and tons of stories uh, every week in, in that. Um, and of course, you know, you can pick your favorite like news analysis um, magazines. You know, again, try not to like if you go to the media bias chart, if you like stuff that's a little left or you like stuff that's a little right, stay in that skews left and skews right column, like above um, like 36, you know, uh, 40. You know, those, those will give you some good news analysis. Uh, types of like Vox and Slate or like uh, the uh, or the Dispatch uh, on the right or like Reason Magazine on the right, um, you, but I wouldn't go like more more opinionated than that necessarily. So that's kind of my uh, I, I start at the very top because if you don't know um, what to like, I, w- I would really stay away from cable news like altogether. I mean, you can watch six hours of cable news in, in the evening. And here, four news stories and 35 opinions. Like, that's not, it's not, even though it has news in the name, does not mean it's news. It's like the donuts and fries of the the news landscape. Um, if you want to watch TV news, like, you know, evening, like ABC, NBC, CBS, national news, they'll cover like 12 or 13 stories in half an hour, right? Not a thousand opinions. It's amazing. When I was... Um... I was a producer at C-SPAN for five years in the 90s, and you could only get AP News if you 
were a news subscriber to the Associated Press. And so I still remember like the ding that would come across and we'd like get the bulletin. And it Mm. was so exciting that we got AP. And so because that was my entrance to the Mm -hmm. Associated Press, like Mm -hmm. now that anyone can access the Associated Press, I think this is gold. It is. This is gold, Jerry. Like, why are you (laughs) letting this go? You know, everybody, that's what they should be reading because it's just straight news. Right. Yep. And and so if you could start there, if you can convince everybody just to go to the, you know, to those outlets, um, I think the world would be um, at least on the same on terra firma. Right. On the same yeah. common ground. Yeah. Um, Vanessa Otero, thank you so much for joining us. This is an honor. Um, the founder of Adfontis, I mean, the media chart that we all use and, and admire so much. Thank you so much for your time. Yes. Thank you so much, Vanessa. We are such huge fans of the work that you're doing at Adfontes and of all the things that Ali and I do in terms of our research and the things that we talk about in our classes, we think this is one of the most important things that we focus on, one of the most important things that Americans should focus on, and one of the most important things that's going to protect our democracy in the future. So thank you so, so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for your kind words. It was a pleasure being here. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to part one of this episode, Grading the News. We hope that you'll join us for part two of this episode, where we sit down with Jim Warren from NewsGuard, an organization like Adfantes that does a really good job of analyzing news outlets to help Americans determine which ones are reliable and which ones aren't. So again, please join us for part two of this episode. And for now, we're going to play you out with friends of the show, Riders in the Sky. Happy trails to you until we meet again. Happy trails to you. Smiling until then Who cares about the clouds when we're together Just sing a song and bring the sunny weather Happy trails to you Till we meet Take a liking to you. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.